again, everybody, and welcome back to Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromolo. Well, surprising, but we are already at the halfway point of the 2017 college football season, and that means that NFL scouting departments have already completed a significant number of player evaluations that will go a long way in determining who lands where in the 2018 NFL Draft. And to give us a glimpse at how the 2018 crop of quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends looks at this point, it's a pleasure to welcome back to the program Jonah Tolls of DraftBreakdown.com. Hi, Jonah. Good to have you back. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on the show again. You're very welcome, Jonah. Thank you once again for donating your time and your in-depth draft knowledge to our program, as always. And let's start with this quarterback class, starting with the number one quarterback on your board at the moment. And by the way, you can see this piece of Jonah's at draftbreakdown.com in which he uh, lists his initial top five per position. Uh, So that's a a good uh, resource for you going forward as you uh, pay it more attention to the college football season in relation to this uh, upcoming NFL draft. And the number one quarterback I was referring to on Jonah's list is Sam Darnold of USC. And there have been mixed reports as to whether or not Darnold will declare for the draft this year. Do you think he declares and would it be a bad idea for him to stay at USC for one more year if he does not declare? Yeah. Um, I don't really have an opinion on this. I feel like if a kid believes he should stay in school, I'm not going to knock him for that. If he thinks he can, if he, if he, if he wants to declare and he wants to go to the NFL, I'm not going to knock him for that either. I think that's their personal decision. I think they should come up to that themselves. Um, but in terms of what I think will happen, I think he will declare at the end of this. I think he is too talented. I think, I think he's going to get good advice to go because I think he's going to be a top 10 pick regardless of what happens before, unless he gets hurt. Um, so I do think he will declare at the end of this. But again, I'm not going to knock a kid for going back to school or declaring early. Yeah, and uh, staying with Donald for a moment, I've seen several of his games already this year. And yes, his uh, mechanics need a little work. And I'm, I'm not talking about the throwing motion. That's a little too overhyped. I'm talking more about the footwork and stuff like that. And uh, his gunslinger mentality gets the best of him at times. But his intangibles are just off the charts and it's those intangibles that in my opinion determine who makes a great quarterback versus who just makes a good or average quarterback uh, mm. what, yeah what do you think I think that is spot on I, I think I, I think also the throwing motion is way thrown out of proportion in terms of is the draft grade I think because when you look at Russell Wilson coming out of Wisconsin too even still now his throwing motion is still unorthodox and he's still one of the top five to six quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Sam yeah. Darnold, same, same way. And it's just, I don't see that. I, I don't see why people should knock him for that. If he can throw, it's kind of like a shot in basketball, for example, the different things comparing apples to oranges, but like Lonzo ball shot, it's coming from the hip essentially, but he makes threes. Sam Darnold, he, he may, he may throw unconventionally. He may throw unorthodox, but he makes big time throws with good, consistent ball placement. So I don't really have a problem with it. I don't think it needs to be fixed. I think when you fix it, I think that's when you start having some issues. Because already has issues with his footwork. There's no need to make issues that don't need to be had with his upper body. There's no sense of doing that. So you already mentioned some of his footwork issues. I think when you see him make some of his bad decisions, like interceptions or his pass that should be intercepted, interceptable passes, his feet are never set. Or his feet, or he's always on his back foot, or he's throwing sometimes with his feet forward. It's just very confusing, and you need to work with him from the ground up. 
it's literally from the ground up because his feet are a mess. And once you get his feet together, I think that's when you start seeing him make consistent throws and throws down the sidelines, NFL type throws. You know, it's he he can really he can really ball out. And with his intangibles and his leadership, and you can tell he commands he, he commands, but he's not loud. He commands by action. It's kind of like how Marcus Mariota did at Oregon. Um, it just really stands out to me, and that's why he's my top quarterback prospect at the moment. I don't know if he's going to declare or not. We already discussed that, but when you look at the total picture, and I think if you can work on his feet, I think he can be an all-pro quarterback next level. I think he has the highest upside for sure. Oh, he absolutely does. And uh, moving on with these quarterback prospects, there are two prospects that are extremely polarizing, yet still getting a lot of buzz. And I'm talking about Mason Rudolph of Oklahoma State and Josh Allen of Wyoming. Like Mason Rudolph, like a Greg Gabriel, former longtime NFL scout who is on local radio here in Chicago. Uh, he um, uh, is raving about Rudolph, saying that the decision makers that he talks to are talking Rudolph as a like a first round pick, while other people like uh, Bleacher Report's Matt Miller said that the people he talked to see him like like as a day three pick. And uh, another polarized prospect is obviously Josh Allen of Wyoming. You made a very astute comparison the last time you were on our program. You compared him to Christian Hackenberg, and in my opinion, uh, his performance so far this season has proven you correct. But like, talk to guys like Matt Miller, Mel Kuyper, Tom McShay. They still believe that Josh Allen is a top 15 overall prospect at this year's class, and some NFL decision makers may very well share their opinions. So for what reason do you think some of these NFL personnel people will view either Mason Rudolph or Josh Allen as first-round talents, aside from the fact that they play the most important position in sports, a quarterback? So aside from just being quarterbacks, why do you think some of these NFL general managers and front office people see will see Mason Rudolph and Josh Allen as first round caliber players. Yeah, I think it's pretty simple. I I think they see the tools, they see the arm strength, they see the flashes. Essentially at times I see I think GMs just watch the highlights sometimes. It's almost like they watch the big throws but they don't want to watch where Josh Allen throws for what, eighty six yards against Hawaii or something. They don't want to see him throw for fifty yards against Oregon. But they will watch him throw a touchdown, you know, on the run, 80 yards, just to show off his arm strength, and that—that's why they're so intrigued. They say, "Oh, well, if we can bottle that up, then he can be an All-Pro quarterback. Oh, he could be the next Rogers if he does that." That's one play out of a hundred plays, and the other 99 are, you know, incompletions or interceptions against teams like you never heard of. And then Mason Rudolph, same thing. Mason Rudolph, you know, he doesn't have as strong as arm as Josh Allen. But you look at the size, you look at the flashes where he throws a deep ball or he throws it across the sideline, across the boundary. It's just, you see the flashes of these guys and you get excited. You see the size, you see the athleticism, you see the tools. I can make him into like a Matt Stafford kind of quarterback. But that's just not the case. I mean, these guys aren't as consistent as they want them to be. And usually when you see a guy complete less than 60% of their passes in college, it's not going to get any better. That you don't become more accurate at the NFL level. It's just a proven fact. And um, I think the last person to really do it was Dak Prescott, but that's an anomaly. The exception is not the rule here. And these NFL executives, they want to believe in Josh Allen and Mason Rudolph because they see the flashes, but they're just not consistent enough. They think they can bottle it up, but that's how you get fired. That's just the truth. 
The NFL is a quarterback desperate league, and it's often that desperation does get you fired in the NFL. You are right. Once again, he is Jonah Tolds, DraftBreakdown.com. And Jonah, if the NFL draft were held tomorrow, how many quarterbacks would you see going in the first round? Oh, okay. So first, I think you would have to include Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, um, and then you'll work from there. I think I think a team would get desperate for Josh Allen. Personally, I wouldn't take him before the fourth round, third, fourth round. It may seem a little bit bold, but I have the same taking Christian Hackenberg. I'm not taking a guy that would get me fired before round three. It's just it's just not a smart venture to take. Um, but I think someone would get desperate enough, someone was desperate enough to take Jake Walker, um, EJ Manuel. You, you've seen it in recent years where these teams start get desperate, they start throwing darts. And I think Josh Allen will be one. Well, I don't know if they're a top ten pick, but I think he will be in the first round. Um, I think that's when you get to the Lamar Jacksons, the Mason Rudolphs, um, those kind of guys. I think there'll be one of those. I think there'll be four quarterbacks in the first round. I think three locks as of right now, Darnold, Rosen, and Allen. Then the fourth one could range from Lamar Jackson to Mason Rudolph. Um, even Austin Allen, I've heard he's risen up the draft boards um, plenty because of his season so far. So you could see you could see four, maybe five but definitely three locks in Donald Rosen and Allen. Thank you, Jonah. And now let's talk about this 2018 running back crop. And as we've seen already, the 2017 NFL um, rookie running back crop is pretty much as good as advertised with Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, and Dalvin Cook, unfortunately, who got hurt. Uh, Joe Mixon's coming along. Uh, You also got Alvin Kamara tearing it up. But if you think that this 2017 class of running backs was amazing, Jonah said the last time he was on a program that he knew that the 2018 running back class would be even better than this year's. And so far, he's being proven right. The potential for next year's running back class could be even deeper than this 2017 class, if not deeper than any running back class we've seen in modern NFL history. And obviously, that's what starts with Saquon Barkley, who is obviously a serious contender for the Heisman Trophy, a rare running back specimen who is worthy of a top three pick there, I say, because he's, uh, as you said, uh, uh, Bill Carroll, another guest of the show, said that Saquon Barkley, get this, was like a hybrid of LaDainian Tomlinson's speed and elusiveness and vision and Marshawn Lynch's strength and power and and with and such rare athleticism like that, uh, that uh, that puts it into perspective. But the number two guy on your list and everybody's list is Louisiana State's Darius Geis. And Geis has been limited this year by a knee injury. And his uh, sample size, as amazing as it was, it's still relatively small because he just had one year of elite production. And why do you think Darius Geis is still worthy of a first-round pick, uh, given the fact that he, A, has been limited by injury and that his sample size is kind of small? Yeah, so anyone who says Darius Geis is not a first-round prospect probably hasn't watched his tape. They've probably just read from Twitter saying, oh, well, he's been hampered by a knee injury or just like um, that he's slowing down. Just basically the stuff that people throw out there. But um, Darius Geis is so talented. I mean, even before the season started, I had Geis above Barkley just because I feel like he could do more in the running game. I feel like he was a more sophisticated runner than Barkley. I thought Barkley just relied too much on, on his athletic ability to run the ball, whereas I think he's developed – his junior season, um, Geis, I thought was more, was a more sophisticated runner to where he was able to not only win with power, but also with speed, with jump cuts, vision, patience. 
I thought he was just a better runner. I thought they're both great receivers, and he has a better pass protector. So I had guys above Barkley at one point. And I don't think, you know, what were we in, six games, six, seven games into college football season, that should change. I mean, I had guys at the top five prospects. So anyone who thinks guys shouldn't be drafted in the first round, I think is crazy. Uh, he's an insane talent. You have two running backs who clearly top the running back. And you, you, you said earlier, the, this running back class might be the best in modern NFL history. And that, some people might cringe at the thought of that, but think about it for a second. Saquon Barkley, in, in a passing league, there are talks of Saquon Barkley maybe going number one overall, depending on who's, who's drafting there. Darius Geis is not that far off from Barkley, so he could go top ten, uh, depending on his medical history. And then you got guys like Ronald Jones, who is like a Jamal Charles clone. Um, and then you got Bryce Love, who's also in the Heisman race. He had 1,000 yards before he had 100 carries at Stanford this year. That is insane. So he could go in the first round. And then you got, then you got other guys, too, like you got Rashad Penny, John Kelly, uh, Nick Chubb, too. So this running back class is insane. And if you don't think Darius Geis is a first-round pick, I don't know what to tell you. Um, or anybody who, who thinks that he could be. But Geis is a surefire first-rounder, depending on his medical records, because his talent is just enormous. You see it on tape. You saw it last year. Even this year in flashes, even when he's been hampered by an injury, you've seen it too, just that explosion and the power he plays with. Uh, by the way, I was just uh, playing devil's advocate in that question. I completely agree about Darius Geis. Just put that g- tape of him playing Texas A&M last year. He just... Um, he just mm-hmm. sent Miles Garrett in the air on a chip lock. That's how complete of a player Darius Geis is. And, uh, and obviously what he does on the ground speaks for itself. So Darius Geis uh, is equally as a much a three-down back, if not more so than Saquon Barkley, for crying out loud. And that's why I agree with people keeping him in the first round. And you mentioned some other running backs I'd like to get to. And you mentioned Rashad Penny out of San Diego State, a running back that has absolutely skyrocketed up draft boards in recent weeks. And many believe he could be drafted somewhere in the top 50. And uh, why do you share that view, apparently? See, with Rashad Penny, here's here's my thing with, with, uh, with we started Penny. A Penny, to phrase. me, is a complete running back. Penny can, can, Penny can carry the early down lows as a, as a workhorse back, but he can also very much be reliable in the passing game, not only as a receiver, but as a pass protector, too. And I think you saw that last year in San Diego, in San Diego State when they had Pumphrey, he would come in. But Penny... When you look at his the total package, you look at his vision, his patience, and how he explodes through the crease when he finds it. This guy, this guy can be, you know, everyone's looking for the next Jordan Howard. Now people are looking for the next Kareem Hunt. Um, I think Rashad Penny, to me, because of the school, because of the schedule he plays with, some people are going to overlook him. I think he could be that next guy. And I really think Rashad Penny has a chance to not only be a guy that could be a thousand yard rush for the next level, but but he can be a three-down back who a team can rely on for the next five, you know, eight years, at least for the first contract. Oh, absolutely. And another good friend of the program, Nick Kendall of MileHighHuddle.com, who we will have on this program in a couple of weeks to talk about some of these other 2018 uh, draft prospects. He compared Rashad Penny to Kareem Hunt uh, all of a sudden. Do you, uh, sh- do you, mm. did you think that's a legitimate comparison? Yeah, I, I think when you look at the balance, I think um, – I'm talking, I'm talking in terms of balance as a runner. Like whenever you get tackled, but you stay, you stay up because your feet and your balance allows you to stay up. Most of the athleticism, but sometimes just because instinct sometimes too, just stay up on the ground. And most running backs don't have it. You either have it or you don't. And um, 
I think he has that enough footwork to not only make defenders miss in the hole, but also to run over defenders too. He has the ability to do both, run with power and quickness. And when you, he has a he, he has a tendency. Here's the thing about running backs: the special ones have the ability to change speeds, like a change control, to where they can go 100 miles an hour, but they can also slow it down and make someone miss. That's what Penny can do, and I feel like I would hit at his size and his ability to pass protect. You're not going to find a more complete running back in this class later in the draft. So I think when you look at the value of Rashad Penny, who may not go in the, who won't go in the first round, but he will be in that day two mix. I think you're not going to find a better value than that. Uh, that's why I think I think the Kareem Hunt comparison is definitely uh, valid. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, where Penny and all these running backs go. And uh, you've also mentioned Bryce Love of Stanford and how he's just exploded onto the scene last year. Filling in for Christian McCaffrey is just remarkable. How do you think Bryce Love compares to Christian McCaffrey? And do you think he could be as good or better than Christian McCaffrey as a pro? Yeah, so I've been asked this several times on Twitter about, you know, who's better between Love or McCaffrey. Um, to me, I, I think the more be- I think the better comparison, and this could be even more rich, is uh, is with Bryce Love is Lashawn McCoy. When you look at when you look at Bryce Love, and you look at how he runs the football, with how he slippery is, how how good his jump cut, how fluid his jump cuts are, and how he transits from zero to one hundred to the speed, like he just run by defenders after he makes that jump cut. It just reminds you of Shady McCoy when he was in Philadelphia. It, it it just really does. And to me, Bryce Love is not as the is not as good as the receiver as Christian McCaffrey was. I don't think any running back we'll see in the next five six years is better receiver than Christian McCaffrey was at the running back position. But Bryce Love does things that Christian McCaffrey simply could not do. And that's with those jump cuts. And you can just transition from 0 to 100 and, you know, a split second. This guy has world-class speed, track speed, where I think he's going to run sub 4-3-5. And you don't see running backs do that often. Running backs usually run 4-4-5, 4-5-0. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott was the best running back prospect we've seen in years. And he ran, what, a 4-4-8, something like that? You don't see running backs at this kind of speed often, and that's why I compare him more to Shady McCoy with his quickness and his ability to break off big runs. And I think he's going to be that kind of guy at the next level. Um, most people think a featured back is going to get 20, 25 carries a game, but the new featured back role in the NFL is you get 20, 25 touches, not 20, 25 carries, where it's on a screen play or it's just a little swing pass. Um, that's what Bryce Love's going to do. People think, oh, well, he weighs 180 pounds. He's not, he can't be a workhorse back. He can't take him first round. Well, I think the role of the NFL back is changing. And once NFL evaluators learn that, someone's going to get a diamond in the rough with Bryce Lovett. He's going to fall because of that. The NFL evaluators are so hard-headed in what they believe in a running back. They're not willing to change. And an evaluator with conviction is going to take Bryce Love, and they're going to be really happy they did because he's going to be a big play, a difference maker in the next level for a long time. Memo to NFL talent evaluators and decision makers. As our good friend Emery Hunt says, Size is not a skill. Skill always trumps size. And there's a lot of people that play bigger than their size. Like when you put on Kareem Hunt's college tape, the first thing that stood out to me about him was how he played a million times bigger than his size. Yes, like in college, he weighed only like 200, 205 some pounds, but he ran like a 240 pound plot. um, Jerome Bettis type at, at times. I don't mean in terms of slow speed, but I'm, I, I'm talking about pure power. Yeah, I mean, it, same thing goes – I, I hate to transition to the defense side of the ball. But same thing goes for cornerbacks, too. I mean, look at Jordan Lewis, what he's doing with the Cowboys. Um, five foot nine, five foot ten guy, 
some I know some teams that'll take off their uh, they'll take cornerbacks off the board if they're not five ten five, which is five ten and a half inch. Um, Jordan Lewis would have been taken off boards, and he would not have been drafted in the first round. That's for sure. And it showed he even with the domestic violence thing um, that was dismissed, he was drafted in the third round. Cowboys got a little lucky, but you look at a five foot nine cornerback. Evaluators overlook those, and essentially, right now, is there a better rookie cornerback in this class that's playing right now than Jordan Lewis? I haven't seen it. So I think, and what Emory Hunt's thing is right, size is not a skill. And if you can play up to people's size, like okay, like. Jordan Lewis is guarding six foot three, six foot four guys. It's not like he's guarding, you know, the five foot nine, five foot ten guys in the slot. He's guarding on the outside, which some NFL hours think he couldn't have done. So I think it's about a case by case study where if you can see a guy that's five foot nine, five foot ten, no matter what position they play and they produce, perfectly fine. Another example, Carl Lawson. Um, his his arm length was atrocious compared to NFL standards. And evaluators took him off the board because of it. Not just because of injury history, because of arm length. And we look at guys you know, that's small and that short of arms, thinking, oh, well, he can only win the speed off the edge. How many sacks does this guy have already? This guy is the best rookie edge rusher the league has seen, you know, since Bosa last year. I mean, when you're comparing guys with Bosa in the rookie year who's dropped in the fourth round, that is crazy to think. And he fell because of arm length. He fell because of a stat. I think when you look at Carl Lawson, you look at guys like Jordan Lewis, and now we're looking at guys like Bryce Love, you take the best player. I think when you start, I think when you start putting guys in the boxes and you say, "Okay, this guy's not big enough, this guy's not fast enough, or whatever that is," then you're going to end up drafting the wrong player. Draft the best player on tape, and you'll end up with the right result. That's that's basically what this is all. The whole premise is about because teams pass on Carl Lawson to take a guy like Taco Charlton in the first round, three rounds earlier, and what has Taco Charlton done for the Cowboys? Exactly, because he had the arm length, he had the size, he had all the tools. But Josh Allen with Wyoming, he has all the tools. But Lamar Jackson may not be the most unorthodox, may not be the most orthodox quarterback, but he, I bet you, he's going to be better NFL quarterback than Josh Allen will be. So it's all about picking the right player and having the conviction to pick that right player, regardless of size or regardless of whatever box you decide to put them in. Preach, 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 brother. I completely agree with everything you said. It's all about the tape, people. So, yeah, you can't um, uh, get locked into every single small measurement, measurable, as he alluded to. It's all about the tape and the production at the end of the day, as it should be. Can't stress that enough. And uh, let's uh, continue on with this running back class for just one more minute. Um, you mentioned Nick Chubb of Georgia, and it's remarkable to see him still producing at a high level even two years after that uh, gruesome knee injury he suffered. Uh, but mm-hmm. I do have somewhat of a concern about uh, Nick Chubb because uh, Laquan Treadwell shredded his knee, I believe, in 2014, and then he came back and had a very productive year in 2015. But since he came into the NFL, he's done nothing. And I think in, that's in large part due to that injury he suffered in 2014 uh, because it sapped him of his a lot of his uh, speed and twitchiness. And that's why he hasn't been effective at all for the Vikings so far. So uh, how does Nick Chubb look compared to his pre-injury self? And do you have any concerns this could be a Laquan Treadwell 2.0 situation? See, I, I, I think when you start, uh, no, so okay. So Nick Chubb, I have big concerns with him coming into the year because I didn't think he was going to be the guy we saw pre-injury. Um, but Nick Chubb now back um, senior season, I think he is. I think he's looked closest 
closer than he's ever looked before to what he looked pre-injury. Um, whether it was with his power, but also his speed's coming back. And I think when you look at Laquan Treadwell, different positions, different size, different builds. I and mean, Laquan Treadwell, one with, one with his size, that's why people weren't as um, down on him because of the injury. Because they said, oh, well, he won, with, he won at the catch point. He's like a Des Bryant kind of guy who doesn't need to win with speed. Well, the catch point didn't really translate next level like it did because he was going to get smaller cornerbacks in the SEC. Nick Chubb, you know, kind of a bigger running back who wins more of power anyways. I don't think his speed, I don't think if you think, well, he's lost a step. I don't think that's going to take him off a draft board for some teams. But with that being said, he looks like he's gotten his speed back. And that's a big thing for a guy like him who is hyped up to be, you know, a top five running back prospect like Saquon Barkley was. Like Saquon Barkley is now. He was hyped up as that kind of guy like two years ago. So I think that's a big step for him. I don't think he's 100%. I don't think anyone thinks that. But I think he's making the right steps in progress. I mean, you've seen him in games so far. He's the reason why Georgia is a top-five team in the nation right now. It's because he's, he and Sonny Michelle are carrying that running game. And that great defense led by Roquan Smith, who's also in my rankings there, is my linebackers. Um, so they're really carrying Georgia right now. They haven't faced much competition yet. They still have to face you know, the, the wrath of the SEC still. But I really think Nick Chubb is getting as close as, he, as we've seen to his pre-injury form, and that's a good sign for him and his draft stock. Yeah, and my fingers are crossed that Nick Chubb does eventually return or get even closer than he is now to that pre-injury form and has a successful NFL career because I've heard nothing but great things about him as a kid as well as a football player. And uh, once again, Jonah Tolls, ladies and gentlemen, draftbreakdown.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Jonah Tolls NFL. And let's talk about this wide receiver class for a moment. Many believe that this year's wide receiver class is good, but it lacks that kind of star power, as in there is nobody you could think of that's totally worthy of a top 10 pick. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, just to kind of bounce off what you just said, um, there really isn't a consensus number one or number two receiver in this class. Um, you you ask people, okay, who's your top three receivers or so? You'll get, you know, six, seven different answers out of 10 responses, you know, you know, some people think Christian Kirk's number one. Some people think Calvin Ridley, Cortland Sutton. I've heard some think James Washington's number one. Um, I personally think Deion Kane should be up there if, if he doesn't have the off-field issues that he has. So there are a lot of different issues with these receivers, and whether it's because of size, athleticism, drops, or off-field issues. Um, yeah, so this receiver class doesn't really have the star power we saw with, you know, two years ago, three years ago, or even last year with guys like Corey Davis. So I think you're right in saying that. And to me, there's not a clear-cut number one receiver, and I think it's going to be like that until we get to the draft. It most certainly could be the case. And moving on to tight ends for a moment, and the last time you were on our program, uh, we were in agreement that this tight end class was the polar opposite of the 2017 class. 2017 had, at least on paper, the deepest tight end class in like 10 years, and uh, the way that this was shaping out, at least uh, before the college season kicked off, it was like, God, is there any tight end worthy be worthy of being drafted in like the first two rounds and uh, you couldn't think of one. And uh, as of now, does this tight end class look the same, better, or even worse? Uh, no. Okay. So I am a little more optimistic now. Um, just watching some of these guys in the summer a little bit. Uh, Mark Andrews, he's had a terrific season to start for Oklahoma. Um, he looks like a guy who can not only be a blocker and great inline blocker, 
but he can really stretch the field vertically. That's something I did not see from him in, in years past. And he almost looks like a Zach Ertz clone to me. And I think Mark Andrews could make that kind of role the next level, given the opportunity. So I think he, he is the lone tight end I would probably consider in the top 50. But other than that, you got guys like Mike Jacecki from um, – from um, Penn State, and you got Adam Brenneman from Massachusetts, guy, uh, another another Penn State guy, but he transferred out there because of Gusecki. Um So those two guys are my next two guys probably on the list. But then other than that, man, you're you're running dry. You got Dallas Godert from uh, South Dakota State, and he's he's okay. He, he's a good athlete, but again, um, you worry about if he can block. You worry about some of these guys. Some of the guys all have flaws. I think Mark Andrews is really the only one where I can say with confidence is a guy who can really make a role at the next level with a, at a consistent basis. That's really the only guy. I mean, the, I had really high hopes for guys like DeAndre Gouldsby at Florida, but it looks like he's been surpassing the depth chart, it almost seems like. So the tight end class, other than you know guys like Mark Andrews and the guys I mentioned already, it's not looking good. It's it's looking like the pole opposite, like, just like I said in the summer. So I think I think we're both right in saying, you know, deepest tight end class last year in 10 years, Najoku, Howard, Ingram, this year, not so much. In fact, the polar opposite. It most certainly is. And Jonah, we thank you once again for donating your time and your in-depth knowledge to our program. Once again, it's always a pleasure having people like you on the program. But before we let you go here, we want to play a little game called Buy or Sell. And basically in this game, I'm going to name a prospect that I have watched or that's getting some buzz or I've heard some friends talk about and hear whether you buy or sell their long-term 2018 draft stock, starting with North Carolina state quarterback, Ryan Finley, buy or sell. Oh, I buy this one. I, I, I'm buying all the stock that you can give me in this one. I'm telling you, um, Ryan Finley to me is the reason why NC state is where they are right now because their defense can carry them so far, but they need some offensive spark and Ryan Finley is providing them one. Um, when you look at the quarterback class this year, um, you look at the guys, you got the star power, you got the Allens, you got the Rudolphs, the Darnolds, the Rosens. Then you fall in the next category or so where people don't really talk about them. Um, for example, you got guys like Baker Mayfield slides way more on the radar than he should. Um, Austin Allen, I'm touching him a little bit. And then guys like Ryan Finley. Ryan Finley has all the tools like a guy like Josh Allen does, but no one talks about it. He throws a good accuracy. He has a good enough arm and he has good enough mobility to sit the pocket and make plays happen. I think he's a solid quarterback. I don't think his upside is as high as a guy like Donald or a Rosen, obviously. Um, but I think he can be a capable quarterback at the next level, especially the way he's shown so far. So I'm definitely buying a suck on Ryan Finley. Alabama running back, Damian Harris, buy or sell. Gosh, man, you're giving me all my favorites. Damian Harris, I'm buying it again. I personally think he's the best running back on the Alabama team. I think I take him over Bo Scarborough, too. So, to me, Damian Harris is a guy who's going to be a guy who can run with power. Runs with power, runs with speed. His, his ability to convert speed to power is really uncanny. Um, you'd like to see more in the passing game. I think you'll see a lot more of these running back, Alabama running backs work in the passing game. Quite frankly, you know, all these SEC running backs, um, except John Kelly from Tennessee. But Damian Harris, man, this guy could be a workhorse. This guy can really run between the tackles. I really like him. I think he's the best Alabama running back. So to me, I'm buying. I'm buying right now. Um, 
I'm not sure how much his success is going to translate to the next level. So I will hedge on that. But I do think he will be a, a capable running back, um, given the opportunity. I think he will be productive. But for how long, I don't know. Sticking with running backs for a minute, Akram Wadley out of Iowa. Do you buy or sell? Oh, my goodness. You, man, you're not giving me any sells. This guy's a buy. It's an easy buy. This guy has the, other than maybe Bryce Love, this guy has the best feet of any running back in this draft class. This, guy's, this guy is so quick, so fluid. This guy can make you miss in a pinch. I mean, if you don't break down, this guy's going to make you look silly. It seems like on every run, his goal is to expose you in the open field. So, Akram Wazi, man, this guy's so slippery. His running style is almost like you can't tackle him. He's not powerful, but he's, like, slippery. You can't tackle him. So, in today's NFL tour, you're trying to spread everything out. You're trying to just pass the ball, get the ball downfield, big plays. Akram Wazi fits today's NFL. I'm not sure he would have been, been able to be a future running back, say, five, even five to ten years ago. But now, man, this, this guy can play. And people are going to overlook him because, you know, well, he's not as he doesn't have the upside or like the speed of a guy like Bryce Love or a guy like you know Rashad Penny he doesn't have like the power or any of that. This guy has the quickness to be an efficient or mechanical. It may not be a three-down guy, but he will be a nice change of pace player. Um, to me, I think he is a definite buy and one of my favorite players to study in this entire class. One of mine as well, and uh, you, um, uh, the comparisons between uh, Agram Wadley and Bryce Love that you drew are not surprising since you also compared Bryce Love to LaShawn McCoy. A lot of people have compared Akram Wadley to LaShawn McCoy, given his ability in the jump cuts. Uh, and uh, moving on to wide receivers. Now, I really like watching this guy against UCLA, Memphis wide receiver Anthony Miller. Buy or sell? Oh, geez. This guy is probably my biggest riser of the wide receiver position. Um, when my rankings came out, was it two or three weeks ago? I, I wrote those rankings. Anthony Miller has been so impressive. I, I put him in that top three to four range. This guy is so impressive. This guy is so quick. His routes are so fluid. I'm ready to say he's the best route runner in this class, and it's not really close. Um, I think his hands, he's a natural hands catcher, and he's a big play guy. Um, there's not really much anything you can ask for in a receiver other than he's just not as big. He's just not as tall as a guy like uh, Corlin Sutton or a Calvin Ridley. He's just not that big receiver. He's not going to win the, at the catch point like those guys are. But he has great hands. He's not going to drop any passes for you. He can make separate. He can create separation both before the catch and after the catch. And that's really all you can ask for a receiver at his size. And I think he's going to be a stud at the next level, whoever drafts him. Oh, I'm I'm amazed that I am naming a lot of your favorite prospects here, and uh, we got only uh, three more on this list. Um, a guy who impressed in one of the upsets of the century so far last Saturday when Iowa State upset Oklahoma. Iowa State wide receiver Alan Lazard. You buy or sell, Alan Lazard? Oh man, see, I have a mixed I have mixed opinions about Alan Lazard. I will say though that. Because of what he, because of what he's been able to do this season, view as already mentioned, I will buy, I will buy on Alan Lazard just because I think his value in the NFL. I don't think evaluators are going to look at him and see, oh wow, that's a first, that's a day one or day two pick. I think he's going to go more in the fourth to seventh round. You're going to see, you're going to see his trajectory more like when you saw with Sharon Peak a couple of years ago at Clemson. 
to where I know they're they're I like Lazar more than I like Peak, but that's how they're going to view him. They're going to view him as a guy that really can't create separation, but he can really win at the catch point. And we've seen you know cautionary tales like with Colin Treadwell. So you're trying you're you're seeing evaluators starting to back off these kind of players. But to me, I think Lazar has a place in the NFL. I think Lazar can win at the catch point. I think he's a better route runner than people give him credit for. And I think he's better after the catch than people give him credit for, too. I think he can run away from defenders, as we saw against teams like Oklahoma. I think Lazar can win against NFL cornerbacks. And I think he's a more sophisticated route runner. Again, like I said earlier, I think, I think he's, a more, he's a more complete wide receiver than people are making him out to be. And that's why I'm buying Alan Lazar. And I think he's a better player than people give him credit for. Sticking with wide receivers for a moment, Florida State's Auden Tate, buy or sell? I'm selling. Uh, I, I love Auden Tate. I love his potential. I love his size. I love his, I love his ability to win at the catch point, go up and get 50-50 jump ball, um, be a red zone you know, machine. But what else does he offer you, man? I, I want to love Auden Tate. But it seems like he is so raw in his route running, and he is so raw to what he does after the catch. I really don't know what he does other than winning at the catch point and be a possession receiver. Right now, I think his ceiling is basically Devin Funches. Um, be a guy who catches the ball and just who's a red zone target, gets touchdowns, but doesn't really do anything more than that. At the NFL level, especially with his size, he's a, little more, he's a lot more slim, a lot more thin than a guy like Devin Funches was. And even even for Laquan Treadwell, so I'm selling on Tate, but but if he gets bigger and starts muscling up, then he can win with more power at the last quarter, more at the catch point. I think on Tate, that's when I'll start buying him. But right now, I just can't do it, and I have to sell because it's too risky of a pick right now. Very good points, Jonah. And last but not least, we move to that tight end position, and our good friend Nick Kendall really loves this guy, South Carolina's Hayden Hurst. Buy or sell? Oh boy. I I like him. I like him a lot. Um, I'm buying on him, and I'll tell you why. Rarely do you see these guys anymore. The NFL's moving towards move tight ends, but you always need that guy who can block. I mean, everyone has him, and I think Hayden Hurst is that kind of guy who can also catch the ball, but I think teams are going to love how he blocks and how he catches the football and can stretch the field vertically. I mean, he gets enough credit for that. And I think he's been a, he's been spotlighted a lot because of South Carolina's quarterback, uh, Jake Bentley. I think he's been able to do a lot of good things there. And Hayden Hurst, to me, is one of the surprises of this year's tight end class. We talk about, are you more optimistic? Or are you more you know, doubtful of this year's tight end class now that you've watched some more players? I'm more optimistic because of guys like Hayden Hurst. You know, the top end may not be so great. you got Mark Andrews, and there's a little bit of a drop-off to me. But then you got guys like Hayden Hurst who can take in the fourth, fifth round who can put up some numbers, who can give you some production. May not be in the box score, but he will give you some good taping and give you some good production as a blocker, but also the guy who can you know, run good routes and create separation. So I'm, I'm a fan of Hayden Hurst. I'll buy that. Jonah, thank you so much once again for a very fun time on our program, and we hope to do this with you again in the very, very near future. Check out his work once again at draftbreakdown.com and follow him on Twitter at Jonah Tolls NFL. It's always a pleasure, Jonah. Hope to see you very, very soon. 
Likewise, my friend. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome, Jonah. And that's all for today here on Sports Crutch with D-Crom. But as I alluded to earlier, we plan to be back within the next two weeks with a midway point look at the trenches prospects as an offensive line, defensive line, edge rusher for the 2018 NFL Draft with our good friend Nick Kendall, so stay tuned. Also be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And once again, that's Crunch with a K. For Jonah Tolds, our producer Chris Broadhead, Mirror in the Box, I'm David Cromlow saying so long, and of course, stay awesome.